Good morning. Come on in, be seated. I'm Joe Collins. I want to welcome you to Sini Church. We are continuing to follow Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. So there was this uh, elderly gentleman. Uh, he he uh, really was a senior citizen, and he got up one morning, and he kissed his wife goodbye. He got in his car, and he headed out on the road and uh, was taking the, the highway into town to do some shopping. And after a little bit of time uh, he had left, he got a phone call, and it was his wife, and she, she called him, and she was panicking. She said, honey, I got to tell you, I've been watching the news, and there's a, there's a wrong-way driver on the freeway, and he's, he's coming your way. Please be careful, she said. And the elderly man said, honey, I know, but it's not just one guy going the wrong way. It's all of them. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verse 26 through 34. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Please be with us as we study your word. Speak to us and let it minister to each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. On the screen, I do have the scripture we'll be studying for today, and obviously I have our map there also that uh, has a, uh, it's a simple map of the area of Israel or Palestine in the time of Christ. And uh, because we are following Jesus, that the series is called Following Jesus, we've been following him through, you know, as he's moved about. And uh, in verses, in chapters one through three in the book of Mark, we've primarily focused on Jesus's movements throughout Galilee. Uh, that's that area there at the top of the map near the Sea of Galilee. If you don't know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was actually raised in Galilee. And it was there that he spent the vast majority of his life uh, as a young man growing up, but also as an adult when he became a, a public speaker, a public figure. He actually spent most of his time up there. It was where he was from, as I said. It's also where many of his first disciples were from. And so it made a lot of sense that this is where Jesus would spend most of his, his time. And in chapters 1 through 3, Mark, as I said, followed Jesus around as he kind of moved around through this area, teaching and speaking. And, and then there was the occasional trip down to Jerusalem for, to, to observe the Jewish holidays or festivals and things like that. But for the most part, Jesus spent all his time up there. And it was sometime during his time up there that he taught uh, four significant parables. The parable of the sower, the parable of the growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, of the of the sower of the lamp, I'm sorry, the parable of the lamp, the parable of the growing seed, and the parable of the mustard seed. These were all sort of taught there. And in Mark chapter four, Mark moves away from you know following Jesus's movements to giving us a, sort of a snapshot of of some of what Jesus taught during this time. And 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 uh, he does so because he really wants us to understand what Jesus's message was at this point in time. This wasn't his only message, but it was one of the major themes of his message. And, and so when we read Mark chapter four, we're gonna look at these four parables and they're all gonna be related to one another because they're, they're really the sort of sidebar that Mark gives us about that describe the, 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 the teaching and, uh, uh, of Jesus and what was his emphasis during this time. Now it says that, uh, that uh, as I said before, Jesus taught these four parables during this time. Now, the word parable means to lay side by side. It's a comparison. You take two things, you lay them side by side, and then you can compare and find out which one is better. And that was a common way Jesus taught. He taught the crowds, uh, and, and he taught often in parables. But, uh, and because that was a really effective way to communicate some basic truths, some simple things to large numbers of people. But it's important to realize that when we see the word parable here, 
it's not only referring in the technical sense to an actual parable. It really is sort of a generalization to, that describes the way Jesus taught. Jesus taught in a, a lot of different ways. He used parables. He used simil similitudes. He used analogies. He used metaphors. Uh, you know, he used short stories, even proverbs. All these ways were ways in which Jesus taught. And so when, when the Bible says Jesus taught in parables, it's really sort of uh, in, in, incorporating all those different ways uh, in which he taught. Now, it's interesting because Mark in chapter 4, summer, you know, uh, uh, organizes these, these, these teachings of Jesus in, in, in a specific order for a specific reason. He did this on purpose. And, uh, and, and, and in order to understand any one of these stories, you have to understand all of them. And so for the past couple weeks, we've been going through each one of these, these teachings of Jesus in order. And so let me recap briefly what we've learned so far so that you have the context of, of, uh, for our lesson today. So the first parable Jesus gave was the parable of the sower. It's a story of a farmer who scattered seeds. Some landed on a hard path. Some landed on shallow soil that was filled with rocks. Others landed on weedy soil, and then others landed on good soil. And the seed only took root in the soil that was good. And so the, the parable here, the comparison, is uh, good soil versus bad soil. And we see here that Jesus is elevating the good soil. He wants you to know that good soil is what really uh, is what's important here, right? And right after that came... Now, the, the point of the parable of the sower is that we are called by God to receive or to welcome God's word, the, the message as given by Jesus Christ, into our lives. And, and we know that because Jesus explained the meaning of the parable. He said that the, the seed represents the word of God, and, 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 it, and, and the soils represents the, the various hearts of people. And so some, uh, uh, some of the word of God land, you know, hits people who are just hard-hearted or unopen. Some, uh, sometimes the Word of God lands on people who are shallow, they don't take it seriously. Uh, other times the Word of God uh, lands on people who, who are divided in their hearts. And in all three of those cases, the, the, the seed won't grow, there's no harvest. Only the good soil, the soil that is open, that is serious, and that is undivided or wholehearted, will receive the Word of God and produce a crop. And so it's up to us to be good soil. That's the point of the of the, the parable of the sower. Now the parable of the lamp follows the parable of the sower, soil, and the idea there is that one lamp is under a bed, one lamp is on a stand. Of course, the lamp on the stand is better than the lamp under the bed because it casts its light. And the reason why this sort of follows the parable of the sower is that Mark wants us to know that Jesus believed or Jesus taught that, that those who welcome his word, that receive his message, have a, have a solemn responsibility to spread that message. That's the, the lamp on a stand. We're supposed to spread the message. So that's the, the two parables that were shared leading up to our text for today. So let's read verse 26. It says, Mark chapter 4, He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scatters seed on the ground. Now, this is technically not a parable because it's not a comparison. It's a similitude. Jesus is giving us an example. This is what something's like, the kingdom of God. And so this little story, this little vignette he gives us, is a description of what he calls the kingdom of God. Now, you know, the kingdom of God was one of Jesus' main themes. It was something he talked a lot about. And it's important that we understand what the kingdom of God is in order to properly understand this parable. So let's look at Mark chapter 1. And I have the text on the screen. If you have a Bible or a phone app, you can follow along or you can just look up on the screen. 
But in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he has said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now this is taken from early in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and it's kind of a summary statement. Mark is kind of giving us an idea of what Jesus generally was teaching when he was going around throughout Galilee preaching. And specifically, he talked a lot about the kingdom of God. But what I want you to focus on is that word near, because the word near has to do with proximity, physical location. And, and Jesus is basically saying that the kingdom of God is wherever he is present, wherever he is, there goes the kingdom of God. Just like if a king moved around, a real earthly king walked around our, our city, wherever he was, was his kingdom. Wherever he puts his foot is, is, sort of his, is his kingdom. But there's a second meaning here, and that is that wherever the message of Jesus is preached, there also is the kingdom of God. And so what we learn right off the bat in Mark, that whether it's the presence of Jesus or the message of Jesus, wherever they're proclaimed, wherever they're welcomed, wherever that, that message is, is spread, there goes the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom is not necessarily a physical location. It's not a country or, or a, a, you know, a, a, an area you can find on the map. As a matter of fact, the, you know, in the Old Testament, that's how the Jews understood the kingdom. They understood the kingdom to mean the nation of Israel. And you could actually go physically to the kingdom of God and visit it and then leave. But in Jesus' uh, use of the phrase, he's, he twists it, he changes it, and he relates it to his person and to people who believe in him or people who have received his message or accepted his teaching. And so the kingdom of God is not bound by, by borders or human boundaries. It, can, it exists anywhere Jesus is and anywhere that Jesus' message is. And so here we are in church today, and we're, we're looking at the message of Christ. We're studying the Bible. And so here is the kingdom of God. It's not the complete kingdom, and this isn't even the, the most complete definition of the kingdom of God, but it's a good start. It's a good working definition. But wherever, and Jesus even said later, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am also. In other words, whenever even two people come together, if, they, if, if, if they're believers and they've accepted the message of Christ, there is his kingdom. And so this kingdom is something beyond boundaries, something beyond borders. Now, I want you to look at Mark chapter 4, verse 11, because this phrase comes up again. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Now, this is a, a, a conversation that took place shortly after Jesus taught the parable of the sower. He taught the parable. It was a bit confusing. Not everybody grasped the meaning of it. Not even his own disciples did. And so in private, they asked him about it. And he explained the meaning of the parable, which I've already, uh, you know, it, which, which is that the farmer who was scattering the seed, the seed represents the word of God. And, and, and only, the soils that, only the soil that is good accept the word of God. But what we learn here when Jesus makes this statement that the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, we also learn that the parable of the sower is not only about our receptivity, our welcoming of God's word into our hearts, into our lives, but it's also about the kingdom of God. And that makes sense because the kingdom of God is embodied in Jesus Christ as a person, but it's also his message. It's also located in the message of Christ. And so if the, the seed represents the word, which, you know, that's synonymous with the message of Christ, which is synonymous with the kingdom of God. So what we find out is the parable of the sower is actually about the kingdom of God. 
It's, it's not just receiving God's word and letting it bear, bear fruit in your life, but it's also about receiving God's kingdom into your life and letting it bear fruit. And by extension, the parable of the lamp is also about the kingdom of God. Because once you've received the word of God or the kingdom of God, then you're, you have a responsibility, a solemn responsibility to spread the word of God, to spread the kingdom to people around you. And so when we share our faith, or when we shine uh, our light to the world around us, we, we are actually extending the borders. We're, we're, we're increasing the boundaries of the kingdom of God. And then we come to verse 26. And Jesus tells us directly that this little similitude is specifically about the kingdom of God. And so we pick it up in verse 27, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. What these verses tell us in this little story is that the kingdom of God has a life of its own. In many ways, the kingdom of God is life. The message of Jesus Christ is life. Now, it's only going to grow if it's in good soil. But the fact that it will grow is guaranteed. He uses the example of a farmer. Nobody even today understands how a seed turns into a plant, how it suddenly becomes living. We can observe it, we can describe it, but we really don't get it. We really don't understand the mystery of life. That's why they call it the mystery of life. Well, the kingdom of God is a lot like that. It's a mystery. But when it's received, when it's accepted into someone's heart, when it's welcomed into someone's life, it takes on a life of its own. Now, as I said, the soil's got to be good for this to happen. If the soil is hard, if the soil is shallow, if the soil is divided, it's not going to be successful. But if the soil is good, the kingdom will bring life to anyone who welcomes it. I know for me, this is so true. I, I pursued many things in my life that ultimately became dead ends, that ultimately went nowhere. I thought they were fun and exciting at first. I thought they were where I wanted to be at first, but eventually, time and time again, I found out that they went nowhere. As a matter of fact, just a couple nights ago, last night, actually, we were having dinner with some new friends, and we were having this conversation, and, 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 and the wife asked me uh, you know, about, a, about a, a thing she heard about a town in Russia that they had studied, and the goal was to eliminate all traces of Christianity from this town, and uh, uh, within a generation, that town was steeped in darkness and depravity and uh, all kinds of corruption. And she was asking me if I had heard that before, and I said I hadn't, but but whether it's true or not, I, I don't know. But one thing I do know, if we look at the world around us, we can see that, that same truth played out. The parts of the world where Christianity has been, has been uh, pushed away, where it's hit hard soil, or whether it's hit shallow soil, or where it's hit a weedy soil, divided soil, the parts of the world where Christianity has been oppressed and, 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 um, and tried to be removed from the, the culture, we see a lot of darkness there. We see a lot of depravity. We see a lot of death, a lot of dead ends. But the parts of the world where Christianity has been embraced, it's not perfect, but there's a lot more life, there's a lot more harvesting, there's a lot more blessing there. And that's just true looking at the world around us. It's true in our own lives. I know it's true in my own life. 
And so the kingdom of God is about life, and it brings life to the person that welcomes it. Verse 29, he says, As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. You know what this tells me? This tells me that the growth is guaranteed, that the life is guaranteed. There's no question. It's not maybe a harvest will come. A harvest will come. It's a promise. It will happen. And you know what's great? I'm not in charge of it. That lets me off the hook. I don't, I'm not responsible for the harvest. I'm not responsible for the, the fruit or the growth. What I am responsible for is what I can be responsible for. I can prepare my heart. I can make sure it's good soil. I can, I can break up the hard parts. I can, get rid of the, I can pull the rocks out of the shallow parts, and I can weed the weeds out of the other parts, and I can be good soil. And the kingdom of God, the word of Jesus Christ, can grow in me, and, and, and what Jesus tells me and what he promises is that when I do that, it will produce the harvest. It's a guarantee. But you know, this tells me something else that's really kind of cool. And that is that even when I don't think there's a harvest, even when I don't see one, even if it takes some time, it doesn't mean it's not happening. I'm going to share another thing I actually don't know. You guys can fact check me later, but I don't know this for sure. But I've heard that bamboo grows quite a long time under the ground before you see it come out of the ground. But when it does, it's boom. It's, it's already like a, a bunch of bamboo. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm sure it's true in other other things, but the one thing I do know is things sometimes grow for a long time without being noticed. I mean, think about a pregnancy. A little baby's growing in there for nine months before we, it pops out. We can see the baby. Sometimes the harvest may come later. Sometimes it takes a while to even see the harvest, but it's promised that it will come and that it's actually happening. And what this tells me is I shouldn't give up on myself and nor should you. Don't give up on yourself. When you're investing, when you're making yourself that kind of good soil, sometimes it takes a while to see the harvest, but don't give up. It will happen. And so if we welcome the kingdom of God into our hearts, it will produce a harvest. It will bring life. Let's look at verse 30. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed, smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Well, now the, the, the parable of the mustard seed, like the three before it, are all about the kingdom of God. They're all about this, this same theme. And the point here is really straightforward. This is another similitude. It's not a, technically a parable, but it's a similitude. And, and the point here is very direct. The kingdom of God may start small, but it has the potential to become extremely large. You know, I get a kick out of this. I, I, in preparation for the sermon, I was, I was doing a little research on the mustard seed and all this. And, and you know, there's whole people out there that, that, that find fault with, with the Bible and with the teaching of Jesus. That they're skeptical or they're cynical because they, they see these, these stories and they, and they go, oh, that's not true. The mustard seed is not the smallest seed of all. And so they just see Jesus is wrong. The Bible's incorrect. Or the mustard seed doesn't become a tree. See, the Bible's wrong, incorrect. The funny thing is, is they don't realize that this is a figure of speech. That what Jesus is using here is just, he's just telling a story. This is not meant to be a, a textbook on horticulture. And you can say, well, he needs to be technically correct. And I'd say, really? Will you tell me, have you ever used the phrase, the sun has set? 
because the truth is the sun doesn't actually set. So you're incorrect, sir. You can't use that phrase. The sun doesn't set. The earth revolves around the sun. Do you see my point? I mean, are we really going to get that ridiculous? That's just someone who's just unopened. Their heart is hard. If you're, if you're looking at the scriptures and you're just finding reasons to fall, find fault with it, then, then you're wasting your time. You're going to find all the fault you need to find. It's only those that are really open, that are really interested, that are really serious, that are undivided, that are going to hear what Jesus has got to say and listen to it for what it meant. Never mind the fact that when Jesus taught this, the mustard seed was the smallest seeds that they would have used at that time in their little local garden. It really was probably the smallest of the seeds. It was at least described that way in other culturally. And so what would happen here is people would, would have little home gardens and they would plant various herbs or whatever. And the mustard seed was a popular one and it would get planted. But the mustard seed's funny because it was kind of a nuisance. It would grow wild. And if it wasn't cared, if it wasn't, if you weren't careful, it would take over your whole garden plot. You know, I grew up in, in Woodland Hills and, and uh, I grew up Sicilian and, and we used to eat mustard greens. Now, I don't know if it's the same species of plant, the mustard green from the mustard seed. I know there's different varieties and some, by the way, do grow into trees. Some don't, but the kind that was around my house were on the hills and we would, kids go out there and we would cut them and we'd come home and eat them. And it was funny because our friends would be like, what are you doing? We're eating those. And they're like, that's a weed. No, it's, it's a mustard plant. But, but if you ever see a rain around here and then you look at a hillside and it's covered in yellow flowers, those are mustard seeds. Those, those are mustard greens. They grow wild and they take everything over. I mean, they take over the whole place. And so, the mustard plant, Jesus kind of uses that, that uh, reality or, or, or the way it grows to, to tell this little story. Yeah, it's a very small seed, but it becomes very huge. It can become a very huge plant. Some translations say tree, and people have found fault with that. But the fact is, some actually do become trees. The point is, it may start small, but it has the potential to become large very large. You know, Jesus, he started with 12 men. And if you fast forward in time to our day and age, those 12 men became billions of people throughout history who became followers or believers in Jesus Christ. Literally billions of people. You know, a couple weeks ago or last week, we had our, our worship service with, with uh, Shoreline. We had 260 people there. We started Simi Church with, with about 30. Today, we have about 50, and, and, and if we go forward with combining with our, our sister church shoreline, we're going to be around 260. It starts small, and it can grow. You know, if you reach out and, and are able to spread the, the, the kingdom to another person, and that person's able to spread it to another person in a short time, from you, the one seed, many can become believers. But not just, not just that way, but also internally. You know, just one change, one, change, one decision to be different, one decision to, to put into practice the teaching of Jesus Christ in your life can change you radically all throughout every area of your life. I think back to myself when I first came to church and I made a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Man, it has taken over my whole life. I'm completely different than I ever would have been. It's, 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 it's dominated my whole entire life. See, the kingdom of God, the message of Jesus, it starts small, but, but if you welcome it, if you let it in, boy, it has the potential. The sky is the limit. You know, I used to live in a rented house in West Hills, my wife and I, and we had this orange tree, and we really liked our little orange tree. And I would go out there every so often, and I'd prune it as if I knew what I was doing. 
I don't. I'm not a farmer, but I would think, well, you got to prune. I've heard you got to prune things, so I'd go out there and just prune it. I'd cut off the branches that I thought were ugly or whatever and uh, make the tree look nice. And then I met a friend who actually knew something about fruit trees. He had several, and, and he told me, what do you, stop doing that. Don't prune the tree. And I, I said, oh, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, you ever go to an orchard? They don't prune it. They let these things, they grow up over and they mushroom over. And, and uh, he said, the only thing you need to do is take the little suckers off around the trunk and on the roots. But other than that, let the thing go. And I did. And within a year, that thing was swollen with so much fruit. I was blown away how many oranges, and they were so good. But this thing was just heavy with fruit. I mean, we had nothing. We didn't know what to do with it. We had so many oranges. Our kids were just getting fights with the neighbor kids. We had orange fights in our backyards from backyard to backyard. But it was amazing how this tree just exploded with fruit. You know, I think what Jesus is telling us, and one of the things about this little story of the mustard seed, one of the takeaways for me is to let it grow. Let it grow. Too many times we try to prune the kingdom of God in our life. We try to make it fit in a box, a box that's comfortable for us. We want things according to our time and our schedule, and we want things arranged the way that we can handle, and we don't want, you know, we don't, we don't want there to be any, any uh, um, you know, out of, out of our little funnel things. But the truth is, the kingdom of God wants to go crazy. It wants to run wild. And we've got to let it go in our lives. The only thing that keeps it from multiplying into and, and reaching potential beyond our imagination is our own limits. It's our own little restrictions we put on it. Imagine what it would be like if we just let it go. If we just were focused on what we were responsible for, being good soil, being welcomers of, of the kingdom, of the message of Jesus Christ. Imagine if that was it. That's all we focused on, but we let God do the rest. Boy, how much fruit might he bring to your life? Verse 34, he says, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. As much as they could understand, he did not say anything to them without using the parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And the goal that Jesus had was, not to, was, was to reveal. It wasn't to hide, but it was to reveal the message of God. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted people to know it. And it's why he taught in parables and similitudes and analogies and metaphors and all those different ways. Because he was trying to hit as many people as possible. He was trying to make this as simple as possible for people. So as many people as possible could respond or could at least hear and have the chance to respond. I want you to notice something. We read this passage just a minute ago, but I want you to read the rest of it. It says, Mark chapter 4, verse 10, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seen but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. You know, it seems a little contradictory. It seems at one point in Mark chapter 4, Jesus was saying, Look, I'm talking in parables because I'm trying to keep the secret. I'm not trying, I don't want everybody to know. But here at the end of Mark chapter 4, we sort of get the exact opposite statement, and it seems contradictory, but really they're not. 
Because really what Jesus was doing is he was speaking in such a way that the broadest number of people could hear it and be given a chance to understand it. But the fact of the matter is not everyone will respond. Everyone is invited, but not everyone responds. And that's just the truth. That's not my desire, and that's not Jesus' desire. Of course, Jesus wants everyone to respond. I want everyone to respond. We all want people to experience the kingdom of God in their lives and to let it run wild and to let it grow and do its thing. But not everybody does. But everybody's given the chance. You know, Jesus wants his message, the kingdom of God, to be welcomed into your life. He wants it to be spread. He wants you to spread it, to share it, and he wants it to grow larger and larger and larger, to reach its greatest potential. Let's not be like the old man driving the wrong way on the freeway. Let's not get in the way of the Spirit of God, of the kingdom of God. Let's turn the car around and let's get on the right, let's get going the right direction, the, the, the same direction that Jesus is going in. Amen. At this time, we're going to have the singers come on up. We're going to close out with a final song. Thank you very much. God bless.